I'm Poppy Ajuda and welcome to my Strong Woman podcast. This podcast is all about discussing the things most important to me, from music, feminism, sexuality and gender, to race, class and politics. On this podcast, I will invite friends to talk about how these concepts intersect with their lives and hopefully offer you a little bit of laughter and a lot of food for thought. Hey, what's up? You're listening to this week's episode in conversation with Adrienne Herbert. Adrienne is a fitness guru, a TEDx speaker, a mother, and an author of her first book, Power Hour, which is all about creating and cultivating a life that you love. I hope that this chat helps you to do the same. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah. Be on the other side of the mic. First of all, how are you? You know what? Thanks for asking that because this week has been kind of a bit of a roller coaster week, but I'm doing, oh yeah, I'm okay now. I feel like I went to bed early last night, nice. woke up today and thought, we move, you know, let's you know, keep it moving. <laughs> that's like my slogan of the year. <laughs> it's like chaos, but we move. Yeah. What else can we do? You know, I just, I think, I think it's difficult. I'm sure everybody listening has probably had a lot of challenges this year, but I think getting to the um, end of the year and kind of feeling like enough is enough, you know, like I'm ready for a little bit of a break. Um, no, yeah. I've been, I've been busy and it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think, yeah, I'm grateful that I've been busy because I feel like there's this you know, we have to be super grateful if we're working and we're busy, but there's also, we're human. And I think sometimes you just, yeah, you need to take a step back and be like, I need to, I need to rest. Mm, well, also I feel like the world sometimes asks you to, to work at a million miles an hour and that's not always the healthiest way to be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this year for me, because people's demands maybe have changed because they think, oh, you're at home or they expect your availability mm. to just be all the time, actually. I think it's a lot harder to take time off and mm. to set boundaries with people are like, actually, I'm not available just because I'm at home. I feel like you're quite good because you're so into like fitness and your health and stuff. I feel like you're quite good at putting those things first in a way. Do, would you agree? Yeah, you're right. Because those things are kind of non-negotiable. So yeah, those are, you know, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Like I'm getting up, I'm training, I'm doing my run. Those things are non-negotiable, but I guess it's more kind of within the like world's working time. So like nine till six, I think if someone sends me like an email or a message and they kind of just expect that you're just going to get back to them straight away because they just, yeah, I don't know the expectation personally, Mm. I think has changed this year. And I just, yeah, find it, I'm pushing back. I'm like, no, I'm not available. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I mean, boundaries are so important. And that was kind of actually one of my questions. How do you put yourself first? What, What are the things that you try and implement in your life that mean that, you know, like you're saying that certain things are non-negotiable how do people set up those boundaries that they really feel strong about and sometimes we can feel like we should use our time for everyone else you know Absolutely. And I think, so for anyone listening who has no idea, all the different things and hats that that I wear, and I'm a mother as well. So I think having a nine-year-old son, and whilst he was off school this year, you know, I was homeschooling him. So Mm. I think it's really been important for me to figure out, okay, what are my values? What are the things I have to prioritize? What are the things I can kind of push back? And then how many things can I do and actually enjoy because I'm someone who loves to say, yes, I want to do it all. I want to be everywhere and do everything. But really I sometimes think if you're, if you're not, if you're doing so many things 
for often as well in service of others, which is a good thing to do. You know, it's not to say just focus on yourself, but Mm. I think so much of what we do, maybe it's, maybe I don't want to stereotype, but I think for a lot of the women in my life, they do give, you know, their time, their energy Mm. to to others all day. They kind of put themselves last. Mm. Um, And especially, as I said, friends of mine who've got really young children, they never, you know, they always come second to the children's needs. Mm. But I think you have to find a, a boundaries and kind of think about, well, actually, how can you give the best of your time and your energy and your love and attention to the things and prioritize things and do them individually? That's what I've been trying to do this year. So, you know, if I'm doing something that's work, just focus on that. If I'm doing something that's with my son, just focus on that Mm. instead of, I think, trying to switch between like multitasking, doing loads of things at the same time, because then it just dilutes everything. So yeah, for me, it's like try and do things in isolation. Then you can pour yourself into that. You know, I'm sure you know this probably like being creative. It's like, if I pour myself into something and I'm just focused on it without distraction, it's going to have a much better outcome than yeah, trying to Mm. juggle loads of things at the same time. So I think one way is yeah, do things in isolation, like break it down, break it up and go, okay, what am I doing and when? And then again, coming back to that non-negotiables, like what are your non-negotiables? If you don't know and you don't define them, then you can't communicate them to other people. So how can they know what what's what's okay and what's not? So yeah, define it for yourself and then communicate it. Tell people, you know what, this is really important to me. I'm going to be doing this at this time. I need you to support me. I need you to encourage me because I think what's not helpful as well is if someone's there going, oh, come on, like, yeah. you know, you can do it tomorrow or you know, that throwing the stone at the window to get your attention. (laughs) So you need to tell them like, this is important. You need to help me to Mm. to focus. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I think that a lot of people obviously experience what you're talking about but also have that feeling that oh if I could just do it all then I can please everyone and make everybody happy and actually it's so true that when you split yourself a million ways you can't give your best to any of the things and also if you don't know yourself you can't give that best version of yourself to anyone else that's I think probably one of the best lessons I've ever learned to be honest and I think it is really hard I think it's really hard to make that decision and to Mm. choose yourself sometimes because it can feel selfish. But actually, I don't think it is selfish. I think that you can only offer the world your best when you're able to create those boundaries. Absolutely. It's not selfish. It's necessary. I say, you know, I think we all hear that, you know, give to yourself if you want to give to others. But what I often say is you can't give what you don't have. Mm. So, you know, when you get to that point, you're like, you can't, you can't give it. So yes, definitely not selfish, but it's, it's necessary. Mm, exactly. So talking about splitting your time and focusing on things, yep. what led you to write your book? Oh gosh. So yeah, I mean, I'm all about that focus <laughs> and time. And I feel like I'm kind of got this a bit of an obsession with time and not in a way of, oh, you know, urgency and time's passing, but just the kind of I don't know, just looking at the concept of like a week, a year, like looking at, especially look at what's Mm. happened this year. So many people are like, oh, it feels like the year's just been taken from us or just been erased. And I think it showcases this idea that time will pass whether you are intentional about how you use it or not, Mm. it will still pass anyway. So yeah, so the book is actually, it's called The Power Hour and it's all about how to focus on your goals, create a life you love, prioritize. And I go through, you know, in different chapters, I talk about different things. So cultivating a mindset, you know, working on um, your 
network and your peers and mm. your community and like who are the people that you spend your time with um I talk about values and purpose and like what are we all doing because if we're just strive for more strive for more you know achieve achieve kind of work 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 then there's this amazing poet that I love called Inkyu and his mm. his book called Inquire Within he's got a poem called Home and in the poem he says I was working for a living but it wasn't working because I wasn't living Mm. And I feel like that is just so many people. It's like, oh, even people will say to me like, oh, Adrienne, you know, you're doing this this year, you're doing that. Like, you know, you're, you're crushing it, you're busy. And it's, it's like, yeah, but I don't want that to just be what I'm striving for is to just be busy and mm. be working. Like busyness has become like a badge of honor. I know it really has. Yeah. You know, and in reality, I think actually if I'm busy, that just means I haven't, I'm just running around on everyone else's schedule and I haven't, you know, managed to prioritize my time well so yeah so a lot of things I guess led me to writing the book but the real why for it was to kind of I guess encourage others and give them not just people often say to me Adrian you really motivate me which mm. is great but I didn't want it to just be oh feel this feeling of motivation I mm. actually have put a lot of actionable you know steps tools frameworks to say to people this is like a toolkit this is like a guide don't just feel motivated that mm. isn't going to change your life actually take action do these steps try these things build a network reach out have goal setting planning like all these things that I hope will help people to you know whatever the goal big or small whether it's a business goal a personal professional training whatever I think the same kind of rules apply so yeah I hope that it will help people to kind of go okay it's a new year and it's not about, oh, new year, new me. But as the new year starts, I think having a focus and mm. not just having a vague, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. Having a real focus and having yeah actionable steps to kind of say, there's always going to be uncontrollables and change mm. is inevitable in life. But what are the choices I can make in terms of perception what are the, what's your perception of change? You know, mm. what are the changes that you can choose and, and take you closer towards the goal? I feel inspired. I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> I really can't. I'm so excited. I think it's incredible that you've written something that is made up of all the things that have helped you to be the best version of yourself. Obviously, you are a motivational person. Like you do so much sports and fitness with people. It makes sense that you would want to motivate people in other ways. But what drives you to inspire others is, is kind of what I was wondering. You know what, Puppy, I'll be really honest with you. And I kind of touch on this a little bit in the book, but I don't kind of go too far into it. And it's probably, you know, the way I grew up and uh, growing up with my with my mother. So growing up, there was, you know, it was just my mum at home and there's four of us. And we were a low income household and my mother's white, but, you know, myself and my siblings are all mixed race. Mm. And my father was very absent, but when he was around, like it wasn't great. And I just feel like if I'm honest, growing up in that environment with her, she, this isn't to blame her or to kind of, you know, it's not to say that it was all bad on her part, but she, she didn't have a lot of agency or power or mm. she couldn't take, you know, her life into, into her hands and have the control that she wanted. She was very much you know, in her mindset, she was very much a victim of her circumstances, mm. you know, not having any money, having four kids, having a, you know, an abusive husband, like all these things that kind of just beat her down. And then I feel like she allowed those things to just stay her mm. story forever. So even now that she's older and even though that her life has changed and our lives have changed, I think she's very kind of, yeah, kind of stuck in this um Where it became mindset. her identity. Yes, it became her identity. Exactly. And I think growing up, even when I was young, maybe like 10, 11, 12, I definitely just thought, you know what, like she couldn't make change in her life. Mm. And and now, you know, it's, it's not to say it's too late, but she's 60. And I think growing up with that environment, I think definitely taught me a lot about 
agency and about taking control and taking action and power and just saying, you know what, if you want to make change, if you want to, whether for yourself or for others, what you believe to be possible for yourself, you have to be the one to do it. And it's Mm. not about, you know, just this individualistic approach to say, well, what about, you know, there's always going to be a variety of circumstances which allow some people to have more agency than others. Mm. So I definitely don't want to say it's as simple as like, you know, pull yourself up and just get on with it. But I also thought like, I just, I don't know, I had to, I had to do the things I wanted to do in my life. I've had to do in spite of the circumstance, not because Mm. of it. So yeah, I guess in terms of why I wanted to encourage and motivate others is because sometimes they don't see what's possible. Sometimes people don't see even their own potential. And that's my gift. That's my gift from God is that I am an encourager. I see Mm. people's potential. And so I just don't want people to look back and go, oh, I wish I'd done this, but I never had the chance. Or I wish I'd done that, but I I wasn't smart enough or Mm. I didn't have enough money or, you know, all these things, barriers, reasons, excuses, whatever they are that hold you back because once once this time has passed as i said we can't get it again we are going to experience this life once mm. so yeah i just think if i can encourage people to to make a change or to do something that they can look back on and go yeah I'm, i i'm proud of myself i did it mm. i think it's really incredible to take what you have and make something positive out of it and sometimes it can go either way but it's always a choice and and also the the realization that we can always change we can always develop we can always reinvent ourselves is something that I've been thinking about a lot and I've kind of talked about it a little bit on other podcast episodes because I feel like there is this common misconception that it can feel like like you were saying too late or you're too old or you're just even maybe too comfortable and the idea of change can feel a bit crazy or that you feel like if you tried something new you might just fail and then so it's easier to stay where you are mm. um and I guess what you're saying is that you took that situation and and you found the positive out of it you found your way to have power and I think like it's so important that we do that because like you said we just get what we're given in life and it's mm-hmm. it's not fair for a lot of people for most people mm-hmm. but we have a choice with how we we use our power or how we think about the world and and that can have such an effect you know yeah for sure and the thing you said about change you know it's so interesting I was just talking about this with someone yesterday about this idea of change and saying that you know in some ways change is inevitable like nothing remains the same but in other ways I think we have these like sometimes we don't like to be fluid and change you know our ideas Mm. or our hairstyle or our views and it's kind of like because of other people's assumption about us you know oh you've changed your mind oh you've changed this thing like oh you're you know it's a fad or you're flaky or and actually I'm like why do we why do we berate people for change Mm. like you know I'm I'm, I embrace change I think change is brilliant I don't want to remain the same for my entire life or waste yeah exactly and I think that comes from someone's own insecurity they don't want to see you change because they're also afraid to change and mm-hmm. so when someone kind of pushes back on you for trying something new, I think it probably says a lot more about who they are than who you are. And I think most people, anybody who works in a creative industry is probably told that they shouldn't do this thing because it is too different. You know, it's too much of a variant from the normal way of life. And you have to ignore those people and let them work it out for themselves that they're not only holding you back, they're holding themselves back from mm-hmm. really being able to experience the fullness of life. Have you ever had to reinvent yourself? Oh, that's interesting. Have I, you know what? I I guess I have. And so 
in a previous career, when I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, I was in the West End. I was in a musical and mm. I was a professional dancer. So I guess, you know, we so much of what we do, I think, can come sometimes define who we are or how we perceive ourselves. Mm. So as a professional dancer in the West End, I guess, yeah, I had a very different lifestyle. And I maybe felt like when I got pregnant and had my son, I think I did feel like, oh, I not that I had to reinvent myself, but I think I felt more like a, well, who am I now? You know, mm. now that I've become a mother, am I still that, you know, can I still wear those clothes? Can I still do those things? And it's strange because you're, you you know, even meeting people when you first start meeting new mums and, and different like baby groups and stuff, often they'll introduce themselves and you'll kind of learn them as being, I don't know, like Lily's mom and you're Jude's mom. And, mm. and for a while you're like, I'm still Adrienne. I am Jude's mom, but there's me underneath as well. Mm. So I think it was more of a, maybe out of necessity of thinking, actually, who do I, who am I becoming? And is it, is it intentional or am I kind of, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I don't know if I thought about it in terms of reinvention, but I definitely think I had to, yeah, really, as you describe, you know, know yourself and think this is another part of me, but mm. it's still, it's still me. Who do I want to be? You know? Mm. Yeah. I guess I always in so many things that I do, I say, I want to lead by example. And I just didn't want to be told that, okay, you're a mum now you do this, or you're mm. a mum now you don't do that. And I was like, actually, that's not a definition. You know, mum is not a demographic that I have to adhere to. <laughs> I can just be me and I have a child, you know? Mm. Yeah, like that's such a big thing that we fall into these identities and then we don't feel like we can change from them. Because even like what you were saying about your mum, she had a certain set of experiences that formed who she thought of herself as, and that became her identity. Entity and whether it was good for her or not, she owned it because it's what she knew. And I mm. think like lots of people do that. We kind of feel like we can only be one version of ourselves. And I really want to push the idea of, you know, reinventing yourself whenever you feel like it, because you don't have to be held to, you know, one version. Absolutely. And the thing about that is when I look back, like I said, being a professional dancer was one part of my life, I guess, one chapter, one version, mm. then, you know, motherhood and kind of having a young child. Now my son's nine and, you know, I do so many different things. So, you know, I've got a book coming out and I'm a podcast host and I'm, you know, training for ultra marathons and in a different setting, it's like, oh, you're a author now, or, oh, you're a runner now, or you're a mum now. And those are all parts of me. They're all parts of my identity. Mm. Um, and to the point about my mum again, it's like, you're right. She, she chose to, well, arguably chose that that identity remains even now you know she'll still say oh you know your dad this or this or that and she mm. talks about things that happened 20 or 25 years ago but mm. she still has that same feeling as if as if it's now mm. but yeah I'm just like that's in the past it's not you can your identity can change and things that maybe were true for you in the past don't have to be true for you in the present they're only as true as you keep them to be you know mm. if they've happened and, and you can move on from experiences then you can progress but if mm. we hold on to every negative experience that we've had then it's really hard to find our way back into the light do you think some people do that in the opposite way too so for example you know when someone talks about maybe an example that I can think of is a ballet teacher that I had mm. and when she was I don't know 21 or something she was in I don't know say Swan Lake and mm. she was this ballerina but even though she wasn't that person anymore she almost wanted to like constantly like she had like photo frame mm. framed <laughs> photographs of herself you know like that was this like that was me that was me that was me and it was almost like she was doing it in reverse she mm. wanted to cling on to this positive version of herself and she didn't want to let it go even though it was like yeah it was and like that, 40 and that, years. that technically stopped her from being able to be anything better than that because she saw that as her best moment you mm, know if you yeah. if you hold on to it forever then you're not allowing yourself to move on I imagine like I guess it's a different but 
it's kind of a bit like when you release a song mm. and you think this song is like your best song ever, but that song is only relative to who you are at that time, what you're thinking about, where you are. And like, you can only hope that you'll grow so much that that song should be completely irrelevant. It should be your worst song, you know, by the time you finished it, because you've grown so much in that time. And imagine like if you just held on to it, mm. or me, for example, <laughs> yeah. if I just held on to it, then... I would never grow. I would never make anything better. I'd never push myself to create in a way that I've never created before because I was too busy thinking about that thing that's already happened and I can't change. Mm. So I wanted to talk about exercise because you're exercise queen. Um, <laughs> and yes. Uh, yeah, yes, you are. Um, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. What role does exercise play in your life and why is it important for you? Gosh, well, it's just a part of my life. I think it's a part of me. It's a part of my day. It's a part of my identity, as we've talked about. And for me, I always take out the word exercise, actually, and I, re- mm. and I replace it with movement mm. because I think sometimes when people hear the word exercise, they already have an idea in their mind of what that looks like or what that feels like. Mm. Um, but I talk a lot about movement because I think movement is, yeah, I think it's part of our DNA. We're born to move. And however that looks for you, whether that's running, whether it's lifting, whether it's dance, you know, flow, Pilates, whatever. I think movement is just, it's interesting when you look up some of the global issues around health, mental health, physical health, climate change, travel, all these things. Even when I speak to doctors, nutritionists, climate change, there's so much disparity in what their focus is. Mm. But one thing that they all align on is that everyone, us and the planet would benefit from us moving more. Mm. you know so our mental health would improve if we move more our physical health would improve our you know like say the planet if we were walking more and cycling more and less just sitting basically Mm. so movement for me is just it's so many things it's it's changed my my life in a way of you know opportunities and building a career and being giving me the ability to travel and meet people the amount of relationships I've built or places in the world I've visited to go and run a race or to go and take part in a fitness event or something that I never would have had the opportunity to do before. Mm. That's something that I, yeah, I just stress to people. I'm like, if you find something, I know I'm a bit biased towards running because running is my thing, (laughs) you know, but like, I, yeah, look at things I've done. Like I said, running races, like half marathons in Barbados or in Barcelona or San Francisco. Like Mm. I I shot a campaign, a running campaign for Adidas a few years ago in Cape Town in January. And I just thought, how, how am I, how have I got here? You know? (laughs) So yeah, it's definitely changed a lot of things in my life. Yeah, I kind of feel the same. I've got a lot more into exercising in the last maybe six months kind of thing. And I think it's one of those things that it's a hard place, I feel like, because there are so many voices around what exercise means. And especially in terms of gender, in terms of being female identifying, Mm. there's so much pressure in terms of body image. And actually, it's like we should want to be fit and be healthy because we care about our bodies. But often it, it, I feel like it gets confused with because we just want to look good. Mm. And then it gets confused with dieting and like all these other things. And so I kind of sometimes feel like I'm conflicted. Am I, am I looking after myself or am I being really vain kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. And you know what as well? It's even when you say like, look good, it's kind of like, what is that definition of looks good? Mm. Because what one, you know, aesthetic you know, appeasing in in different cultures. It's so different. And it's interesting. I have um, a friend and her family, they're from Brazil. I'm not, I can't remember right now exactly where, but she was just saying that it's such a different kind of aesthetic in terms of, yeah, Mm. women's bodies and what 
beauty standards like they kind of aspire to and it's just really interesting that the girls the young girls how they really want to kind of they don't want to exercise because they say they don't want to lose their curves they don't want to lose their shape they don't want to they think that femininity is defined by this you know, hourglass mm. shape. And they'll say that, you know, the athletic, strong body of the woman to, you know, these young girls, it's not something they aspire to. Yeah. Yet in other cultures, people will, yeah, almost celebrate and strive for this, you know, very athletic, very strong. It's just changing all the time. And I think one thing that's really important for us all to remember is that fashion trends can change, you know, different things can change, but our body type and our body, like our actual body, the home that we have shouldn't change, you know, shouldn't try and change it to a trend because mm. you imagine you lived in the fifties and it was like all about the, the hourglass. So imagine you're in, mm. I don't know, the nineties when it was the, the stick thin models. And then now maybe it's the athletic strut. Like we can't change our bodies because of the the era, mm. you know, we, it's ridiculous. We just have and to look after ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And like, look at, you know, the reason that you want to move and how you want to feel and not just now, but how you want to feel in the future. And I think for young people, you know, it's so like, I don't want to hear people talking about, oh, when you get older, you know, spine health, how boring is that? But the reality, <laughs> do you know what I mean? How boring, who cares? Everyone's like, I'm young. I don't give, I don't care. But actually, if you think about the quality of life you want to have, like you want to be able to, if you want to be able to move and mm. uh, enjoy different foods and travel and just all these different things pain is not something that you want to live with every day and for mm. anyone who has suffered pain that they've had to endure for a long time it's so debilitating and it impacts everything in your life mm. so yeah I kind of just think if you're fortunate enough that you wake up every day without pain then yeah exercise move your body look after your body strengthen it bulletproof it mm. so that you can remain pain-free and just keep living basically thriving yeah, exactly. Do you find that in talking about women's bodies and body image, being a stronger, more muscular woman, have you felt the pressure of how a woman's body should look? Wow. Well, it's a, oh, it's a whole journey, isn't it? I think when I was younger, I definitely like at school, like I've always had an athletic body type. Mm. I've always had, you know, narrow hips, um, flat chest, you know, six pack. And I think now people will say to me, you know, as I said, I've worked with different brands and I've done, you know, big campaigns for sports brands. And people will say to me now, like, oh, your body's goals or whatever. Mm. But when I was, you know, 13, it was actually, I was just told I look like a boy and boys at school would say to me like, oh, you look like a boy and you, do you have a dick? And like, just honestly, I remember thinking like, I hated that yeah. part of my body. Just thinking, why am I so weird? Why don't I have curvy hips? Why don't I have big boobs? Like, wh why do I look like a boy? Like, it's just mm. kind of, I used to say that I looked like Mowgli out of the jungle book. <laughs> I used and to be Mowgli just, out of the jungle book too. <laughs> right? But then it's interesting, as I said, with the kind of, culture change in like now it's like oh it's celebrated for women to be strong but mm. actually maybe in 10 years it won't be so I've really just done the work on myself to go you know what this is how my body looks and mm. you know I, I was pregnant I carried my son I birthed my son like there's all these things that my body's done mm. and yes it might look how it looks and people sometimes make assumptions straight away if they see a woman who looks athletic it's like oh you must train really hard or oh you must have a strict diet and the reality is this is the body that I was born with like mm. this is I'm grateful for it but I'm, I would be lying if I said oh I've always loved the way I look and you know I feel sexy all the time and I think I've worked on it to the point where now yeah I, I love my body and I'm 
happy and confident in my skin. I'm happy and confident mm. naked. Like I'm just like, yeah, I love it. But it's, I'm 33. So I think, you know, in my twenties, yeah. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that at all in my twenties. So it's taken a while to get there. I guess it shows how it's not even about what you look like. <laughs> it's just about society always often wanting to control women's bodies, whatever they look like. You know, you could be muscular, you could be a bigger size, you could be really skinny and people would still find something to say about you, you know. Mm. And actually, I think it often happens when you're a younger girl because people feel like they have more access to say what they want or to impose their opinion on like who you are. And so it's just really about loving yourself as you are, I guess. Yeah, and being, and being okay if you don't straight away as well that's the other thing is now I think the message telling women like love your body love yourself accept yourself you know self-acceptance and self-love mm. I think has become almost we're shaming women who don't love their bodies mm. you know it's like if you want to change your body oh that's you conforming to diet culture and you yeah. should love yourself it's like that's a difficult thing to just after the years that we've if you've had 30 years of being told one thing by beauty standards and by the world and society it's really hard to just spin that and now say love yourself mm. actually if you don't don't berate yourself it's a journey that might take you time but don't berate yourself if you don't look in the mirror every day and love everything that you see about yourself because I think mm. it's really hard to to just expect people to just get to that place. Mm, it's like a lifetime of conditioning mm, in your brain. Yeah. yeah, totally. The other thing that I was thinking about was just being a woman and a woman of colour in the sports industry, which is very like male-dominated and I feel like quite white male-dominated, correct me if I'm wrong. Has that been different? I think it's another one of those where I've had it my whole life. So it's interesting with this year, with the conversation around Black Lives Matter and a lot of people with, you know, the unfortunate thing about that is that it came at the cost of, mm. you know, the killing of, of a black man, of George Floyd. And I think that even though the conversation has been elevated to people's attention for myself and for a lot of my friends who are black women and women of color, they're like, this isn't new for mm. us. You know, this isn't a new topic for me. It's just that now people want to hear my experience. So mm. what I'd say is that it, it's not just, okay, within the fitness industry or within this work or within that work. I'd say through in, my entire life, being a minority is just something that I guess became, it was normal. It was just absolutely normal to go to a workplace and be the only brown person it's been mm. you know it's been normal to go into whether it's a, a photo shoot or whether it's a meeting or an audition back in the day you know it was it was just normal to be the only brown person in the room so not to say that that it shouldn't be the case but it, but it really was so yeah I guess I guess that certainly has its challenges you know mm. I think being aware of it and now people kind of saying oh this isn't okay this isn't something that we should just put up with and, and accept I think is really really important but yeah, it's strange. It hasn't been like a, oh, this is a change for me. I'm like, this is the world I've lived in for my whole mm. life. Do you think an acknowledgement of that experience, even if it's coming way too late, mm. has changed the way that people behave around you? Mm, that's interesting. Um yeah, I think so. I think people are open to having conversations now that maybe they wouldn't have done before. I think they're open to having difficult conversations and maybe, as you said, acknowledging racial injustice and talking about it. And even white people with a lot of agency who before they might have thought, well, this isn't my conversation. I don't want to get involved. It doesn't affect my life. Mm. Now I've found that people are much more open to having the conversation and to saying, yes, I am a white man and I, I have agency and these topics they don't affect me every day unless I choose to participate in the conversation mm. so I do think that yeah on a positive note I do think that in my experience people are starting to do that and yeah I think that can only be a good thing 
Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting to hear how it pans out in every aspect of life, in the sports space, in the creative space, in the workplace, like the office space, how everyone is trying to navigate these new conversations that can be quite tricky and uncomfortable sometimes, but ultimately will lead us into a place where we can feel better about our lives. Mm. Yeah, I think so. For example, I work in, I consult for a fitness app and they've been doing a lot of work this year, all of the employees around diversity training and representation learning mm. more about the gap as well and it's really interesting because people have come to the the discussions and to the trainings and been really really honest to a point where you know white men who are sitting there and saying that they feel all these emotions that they didn't realize you know they feel shame they feel guilt they feel all these things because they said a good example i heard this year was somebody said they read the book me and white supremacy and he said that it's not like someone giving me a book about a Chinese language and saying, here's a new language you need to learn. He said, it's like someone giving me a book and saying, here's the Chinese language you need to learn. And he didn't even know there were other languages. There was, mm. he didn't even know there was other languages, let alone that he didn't know how to speak them. So wow. it was like, he was like, you know, I feel guilt and I feel shame and I feel all these things, but I want to learn. And I think that is, you know, he, he was, like, I want to learn. And that's all we can ask for, I think. Yeah, I think the honesty and the openness and our willingness, even though it's been a long time coming, our willingness to meet people where they are and, and have those conversations is the only way that we're going to change things. Mm. And it, it requires a lot of patience and we've had a lot of patience for a long time. But <laughs> but now that we're at that moment, we can't be like, oh no, well, it's too late now. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. I don't feel like that's a useful way to come at the conversation. Mm. On a positive note, you are probably the most energetic person that I know. <laughs> Definitely. And I feel like there's probably some like genetics going there. But (laughs) if you were to give us some advice Mm -hmm. on how to, you know, how you keep pushing yourself. And I feel like you have such a like, I don't know, the probably the word is like a zest for life, um, which is very compelling and you kind of can't, it's like contagious. You can't help wanting to feel it when you're feeling it. But how do we push ourselves and have the energy to push ourselves towards the goals that we want to achieve? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think energy comes up a lot for me. People always say that. Like, <laughs> How have you got so much mad energy? Are you just caffeinated or what? So you're what not, say, you? you're not caffeinated. No, 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 I'm just excited. No, I'm just hype. I'm just a hype, hype, zero chill all the time. Uh, yeah, what I'd say about that is, you know what? I'm lucky to have the life that I have and I know it. I acknowledge it. I think, you know, people talk a lot about gratitude, gratitude, and they're like, yeah, cool. I get it. I'm going to be grateful. But actually, it's so much deeper. I think when you really feel, as I was saying before, about, you know, not having pain or not having, you know, sometimes you can't help but feel great. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm. It's like if you really look at, for example, I I listened to this podcast with a psychologist called Kelly McGonigal, and I'm obsessed with behavioral economics, why people do what they do and trying to understand people. And she was talking about stress and the perception of stress and how in this world right now, you know, everyone's stressed out and people saying that stress is bad for us or stress causes illness or stress will age you. It's Mm. all these things about stress is inherently bad. But she said, if you were to flip that and, and say, okay, well, stress actually is pressure and some people work better under pressure and they thrive under pressure. And Mm. she said that 
if you think about the perception of stress, she talked about, imagine there's three things that you say, these three things are stressing me out. They're keeping me up at night. Or, these are my worries. She said, the flip side of that is those are three things that you care deeply about. Mm. If you didn't care deeply about them, you wouldn't be laying up awake at night worried. So it's not to say that I just spin everything into like, oh, look on the bright side, come by our, like that's not <laughs> the vibe. You know, that's not the vibe. But that is a great way to look at it. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. Even when you said that, I feel stressed about a few things and I haven't been sleeping very well recently because I go to bed and I'm just thinking about all the things that I've got happening. And mm. And it's true, they stress me out because I care about them so much and I want them to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you do feel the stress of pressure, you forget why you're letting yourself feel that. And I mean, also sometimes it's not helpful if it forms into some kind of anxiety or whatever. Mm, it's not yeah. helpful to feel that stress, but... Yeah, debilitating stress for sure. It's a real thing. But I think, yeah, definitely spinning to my mind of going, okay, Adrienne, you care deeply about these things. Like how lucky are you that you have these things you care so much about that mm. you, yeah, you have this list. And then I guess more to the point of actually optimizing your energy. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, you have a certain amount of energy, okay, in a day. So what are the things that drain it? And what are the things that top you up? Mm. What are the things that give you more energy than they take? And I'm talking about people, experiences, music, food, you know, relationships, which things fill you up and give you more than they take because you need to prioritize those things, especially right now. You mm. know, like those are the things we need more of. And the things that just drain your energy, make you feel bad about yourself, make you question yourself, make you uh, feel insecure. Like those things, those things need to go for a while, you know, focus on the things that are going to energize you and try to also, you know, for others as well, who can you, like, who would love to hear from you today? Who is it going to make their mm. day if they hear from you today? Because that can also energize you, like giving to others and feeling that, you know, that mm. two-way vibe. So, yeah. Man, I feel so lucky. I have such inspiring friends. <laughs> Honestly, this podcast is like therapy for me, I think. I do it and I just come out and I'm like, yeah, I'm like ready yes. to like do life. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's so true. I think it's so important for us to count our blessings, I guess, and really acknowledge how amazing it is to be passionate about things, to really care about stuff. Um, and sometimes we forget because we're so caught up in caring about if it works or if you fail or you succeed that we kind of forget about the journey and the passion, the mm. passion for it, which is actually the thing that drives us. The thing that drives us isn't the goal that we hope to reach right at the end. It's we do it because we love to do it. Yeah. And you know what, Poppy, I really need to remind myself of that right now because my book's coming out in Ooh. four weeks. And it's one of those things where mm. I created it. And when you ask me why, you know, I can tell you, I'm like, this is exactly why I know the intention. But what I'm finding difficult now with the lead up to it coming out is other people's interpretation, mm. other people's, you know, it, if they like it, they don't. Yeah. 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 And even just, you know, even just the fact that people are going to be honest, right? People, you know what it's like, you say, don't read the comments, but people will might say that they completely reject all of your mm. ideas and that it, you're an idiot. So you got to be ready for that. And I think what I'm reminding myself of is, yeah, it's not defined by how many copies do you sell or this kind of, all the metrics now of where are you on the Amazon chart? Like mm. all of that, I just have to be, you know what, this is why I created this book. I know that. And I've got to remind myself every day and also remind myself that it takes courage to mm. put things out in the world because some people will love your work and some people won't and some people will throw stones but I think I, yeah we I've got to remind myself yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah. important and I, I, I really think it's special that you said that because I think everybody everybody who does something that they care about feels this at the point where 
you know, crunch time. Mm. And, and we don't always talk about that doubt. Kind of like it's a human reflex to just completely like crush all your own dreams <laughs> before yeah. they've even had time to come to fruition. And yeah. we have to like rein that back so much, you know, bathe in our, our creativity. So my final question, because this is the Strong Women podcast, who are the strong women in your life and how do they impact you? Wow. Gosh, I have so many. I'm just going to feel like I can't even, I have so many strong women in my life and most of them are friends that I've made as an adult. So yeah, I think, you know, women who I've sometimes actually just gone after them and been like, you and me, we're going to be friends. I'm just like, I just like you and me. I love that. Uh, yeah. And they're all women who, whether whatever industry they're in, whether they're creative, whether they're corporate, whether they're mothers, not mothers, they all they all encourage me to be myself. They all encourage me to do more of myself. And I hope mm. that I do the same for them. You know, they never question me and say, oh, you know what, Adrian, that's a big goal or you're, you're a bit overly ambitious there. They, they always just say to me, yeah, uh, of course, you can, of course you could do that. You could do, you know, that, that kind of idea that actually not only, you know, champion one another in, in your successes, but also being there when, yeah, in those moments of doubt mm. and, and having the strength to, yeah, really support. And as I said, championing you when things are going well, but to also be there when they're not and to say, you know what, we've got you, you know? So I'm, I'm very lucky. I mean, I feel like even to name them all, there's so many, but I'm very, very, very lucky and blessed. I know I am to have strong women in my life showing me as well what is possible, showing me that we can achieve more, we can do more, we can do it all. Mm. And it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't, it's not easy and we're not fearless, but they are always there. So yeah, I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, yeah man, that's that's so incredible. I think we all need people like that in our lives. And if we don't have those people, we have to find them. Seek just them, seek tell them. them. Go, <laughs> as, as Adrian just said, just you, go, you go out there and you just say, you, <laughs> you're my friend. Honestly, I've met people at events where I've just been like, that vibe and that energy is such a resonant match that mm. I just, yeah, hunt them down. I'm like, you and me, I'm like, let me just, <laughs> yes, let's get a coffee. And then that's it, we're friends. <laughs> Forget dates, we're just making friends now. Yeah, adult friends. <laughs> This is it's the way. Yeah, I think I did that to you, Poppy. I, I think probably. Wow, where, how did we? How did we meet? I don't I'm going to tell you we did that. I mean, I saw you perform. Actually, firstly, I saw you perform uh, at the Roundhouse uh, with Tom Mitch. Oh wow! And I heard your voice, and I saw you, and I was like, wow, this woman. <laughs> and then I actually saw you. This is going to sound so stalker, but then I saw you in Topshop on Oxford Circus, and I was like, Poppy, and you were just like, oh, I don't yeah. know you. <laughs> but honestly not a stalker and then I realized I think online that we had some mutual friends and then I think I saw you at an event so it was like less cringe so yeah I think over time I just was like yeah I did the same to you I was like Poppy's wicked (laughs) Poppy's wicked let me just be her friend that's so funny because you're not the first person that said that to me I think I had the same thing with Ben. She just came up to me at like an event and was like, hey. And I was like, who are you? You see, you just, all your, all your fans have become your friends. Oh. <laughs> I think it's, it's beautiful though. Like when you see someone and you just love their energy and yeah. I, I feel like that all the time and you just want to be around them. And I think it's important that we break that barrier and just do it. Don't feel like you can't connect with someone for any reason. Just like go up to them and be like, yeah, because look, it's yeah, going to be great. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for joining me. That was really, really nice. Thanks, Poppy, for having me. I loved it. Woo-woo. Strong woman. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of my Strong Woman podcast. If you loved what you heard, please subscribe and tune in on Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Big love. Hold up. 
This month, the spotlight is on our planet. Keep listening to hear a podcast that is making a difference. Hi, this is Alan from Tracks to Relax, a show designed to help you relax and get to sleep through guided meditation. We're celebrating Earth Day this year with a special sleep meditation and poem that's all about appreciating the planet we live on and giving it some much-needed love. Not only will this meditation help you relax deeply and fall asleep, it's our hope that it will also create a sense of gratitude within you as you listen and inspire you to do more personally to clean and preserve this beautiful planet for future generations to enjoy. To listen to our Earth Day episode, simply search Tracks to Relax wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER.